This is the American Military Brit. Shedding light on the realities of military life. Now, here's your host, U.S. Air Force Staff Sergeant Christopher Clark. Hello and welcome to the American Military Brit podcast. For the podcast today, we've got a special guest, um, Grant Hurst, and I want to kind of introduce him a little bit to you guys because he has a, a unique experience that I want to talk about today, and that is um, working in weapons school. I'd never actually heard of weapons school or patches or anything like that, but they're essentially like the smart guys in the Air Force, if you want to call them that. We both did intelligence, so that's... Uh, something that he has experience in, but I'll let him kind of explain his story. I just wanted to kind of lead him in a little bit, but uh, yeah, Grant, if you just want to start with kind of like who you are and what you do right now as far as a job there in the Air Force, go ahead. Yeah, Chris, thanks. Uh, who I am, I said, I te- native Texan who's been in the Air Force for, for 18 years, had a lot of uh, interesting experiences and a lot of uh, fun adventures while I'm there. And uh, the last two and a half years I've been living here in Las Vegas getting to experience the uh, the joys of Nellis Air Force Base and the joys of Southern Nevada. Yeah, so what like what made you want to join the Air Force? Was there a specific moment or was there a specific thing that happened? A uh, combination of things. Uh, like anything in life, uh, there's there's always multiple influences that kind of kind of push you in a direction. Uh, typical board in high school, board in college guy right. who uh, was at my freshman year of college when the Iraq War started back in 2003. And I don't know, you come home and you see the war on TV and you look at your books sometimes and you look at the, what's happening on TV and you think, I've got a whole life for these books. I can come back to this later, but I want to go try this out. I want to go see this adventure. I want to go be a part of this thing that's happening. And uh, I went and enlisted and 18 years later, still, uh, still, still at it. So it was uh, a, little bit of a, a little bit of a whim and a little bit of a bored with what I was doing. And it's been a fun ride ever since. So you saw the Iraq War. What about like 9-11? Was 9-11 like an influence on you at all, like when you saw that? Yes and no. Um, I, saw, I grew up in, in suburban Dallas, and it wasn't a community where uh, – like people went to college. People didn't join the military in, in, in my town. It wasn't, wasn't really a thing. Uh, I've got an uncle who's retired Air Force. I've got a bunch of grandfathers that were in World War II, but it wasn't – and it wasn't a thing. It wasn't like it wasn't real. It was like that was something other people did. Right. And going to college, I went to Texas Tech for a year out in Lubbock, Texas, about five hours west of Dallas, and a little more country town, a little different, a little different perspective on life out there. And like I said, um, living out there kind of taking me out of that 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 Dallas bubble that I grew up in. Uh, showed me that yeah, you you can do this. This is something that that normal people do. It's. Uh, just one of the many choices in life. So, like I said, I, I joined uh, almost on a whim and almost on a uh, on a lark, and thought I'd do four years and call it a day. And it was so much fun. I did four more and four more and four more and four more. So, yeah, because it's it's funny how you say that. How oh, this is something that normal people do. Like we we can join the military because I feel like a lot of people think you have to be something special to to join the military. But with this podcast, that's something I'm trying to do is like bust that myth basically. Well, so. never let anybody ever say that, that Chris is a special guy. 
If he can do it, uh, anybody can. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> honestly, that is what I'm, because so many people say that to me. They're just like, oh, you have to be like super like into fitness. Like you have to be, go to the gym all the time and be like crazy smart and all these, like all these crazy tough. Like that's one thing people always say. You have to be, oh, super mentally tough and all this stuff. So I'm just trying to like bust those myths, you know? Blame, blame Hollywood for that, right? Because yeah, the only right. stories that Hollywood tells are the ones about Navy SEALs and Army Rangers and mm-hmm. fighter pilots. And, like, th- th- that's a very small subset of, of what we're doing, right? Obviously, that's an important part. But there's a, I mean, just about any job that exists in a large company exists in some form uh, in the Army and the Air Force and the Marines and the Navy. And so even if it's not your, your life's ambition to carry a gun and go shoot at al-Qaeda guys, mm-hmm. uh, there's, there's probably something that is related to what you're interested in that is part of that larger enterprise that is the defense department and is the military so and again to to speak on that like <clears throat> me for example i was thinking okay if i join like before i joined i was thinking oh if i join they're going to just send me straight to iraq and i'm going to have to like fight al qaeda or the taliban or whoever it is right but it's like no there's other jobs like you were saying there's something you'll be interested in that you can go do like you know, I was looking at logistics and then, you know, obviously I came across intelligence and all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, there's something out there, you know, administrative work, fi- finance, whatever the heck you want to do. So yeah. And yeah. even if it's your life's goal to be a journalist and be in media and to talk in front of a, a camera, in front of a microphone in your life, there's public affairs officers who yes, do exactly that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's let's kind of get into let's shift focus here into the job aspect. So. Obviously, I explained in my introduction podcast that I was in intelligence, but I didn't really get too much into it. I mean, we can't really because it's, you know, it's it's classified and all that stuff. So let's just kind of go as far as we can. But like, just kind of explain like what you do right now there in the weapons school and like what you do as far as an intel person. All right. So apologies for the cliches or if this is tropey at all, but... Uh, I'll, I'll keep it topical based on uh, the, the latest movie this weekend. Everybody's been oh, out at the gosh. theater watching, yep. watching the Top Gun sequel. Um, whenever, yeah, one of the many things that we do uh, in Intel is support mission planning. And uh, when you watch the movie, it's always some general who gives the briefing to the pilots beforehand about where the target is and where the threats are and what the mission is and what we're doing. And in reality, it's, it's a 22- or 23-year-old uh, intel analyst mm-hmm. who's, uh, whose yeah. job it is to, to work through those things and to do a lot of the analytical work and a lot of the, the research work uh, so that the pilots can come in and get the briefing and go execute the mission uh, as opposed to them doing all that, that legwork for themselves. So uh, I always like to tell people that when you're watching that movie and there's that, that dimly lit scene where the Navy SEALs are in a dark room with dramatic movie pl- uh, music playing, uh, there's always a guy in the room who's who's explaining uh, what the target is, what the threats are, what we're, what we're doing, what the mission is, and that's that's me. That's uh, that's that's what Chris and I did, at least in some form, uh, and it's uh, it's a job that uh, very very uh, knowledge focused, very very research focused, very very uh, technical in that sense, and one that uh, doesn't necessarily involve flying at Mach two or pulling eight Gs or having grenades go off around you very often, but uh, one that's a hugely important part of the mission. Welcome back, guys. We we were kind of talking about Top Gun. It was pretty funny because uh, Grant was talking about how unrealistic it is. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you want to go on a little rant now, but uh, if you want to. It's, it's fantastic cinematography <laughs> and fantastic action, and none of the tactics that the pilots are flying make sense. 
none of the things that the threats are doing make sense. It's uh, it's it's an exciting ride, but as a as a fairly knowledgeable Air Force guy, I have to kind of roll my eyes and suspend yeah. disbelief in the movie and just kind of enjoy it for what it is because uh, it's a pretty loose interpretation of what air to air combat actually looks like. Yeah, um, I mean, we can't really obviously we can't really go into you know tactics and like intel specific stuff too much but uh you know i guess just probably just use your imagination pretty much as to what you think we're talking about but uh anyway um so let's let's kind of go back to the beginning of your journey because like in my intro podcast i was talking about you know my basic training and tech school experience and you know basic training i I mean it was back then it was like eight and a half weeks i think and then tech school six months but I'm not sure if it's changed now. I mean, I, I couldn't tell you, to be honest. But just kind of talk about your – because you went to basic training. Well, let's just say back in the day, right? So. Ba- ba- back in the day. Yeah. Um, uh, everybody that, that, that enlists as, a, as, a, as an airman goes through about two, two and a half months of training at, at Lackland Air Force Base in Texas, down in uh, San Antonio. And that's where they teach you to, to march straight and to fold your T-shirts properly and to follow instructions and to uh, do a ton of push-ups. Uh, after a couple months of that, once once you've kind of proven you can handle some stress and you can follow directions and you can you can function in a in a in a stressful environment, they send you off to what we call tech school, which is where you actually learn your job and learn specifically like skills that you'll need to to do your job out there in the field. Uh, I initially joined trying to be a linguist, wanted to learn a foreign language and be a translator or be a, a signals analyst, and that didn't work out. Uh, turns out learning foreign languages is really, really hard and doing it as quickly as the Air Force wanted me to didn't, didn't quite work out. So once I went through that training, they kind of gave me some options about, hey, so if this isn't working out, what other thing do you want to do? And that's when I kind of found my way into in my current intelligence career field. So I've been doing that ever, ever since. So I was going to say like, uh, as far as like Korean language go, like, did you know Korean before you went there? No, absolutely, I didn't. I didn't know any Korean. Uh, most white folks that grew up in Dallas don't uh, don't learn it, but I know a little bit now. Um, they they give you a few options about what language you want to learn. Uh, that was the most appealing one that I that I had, and uh, said spent about six months struggling through that course before the Air Force finally said, "Look, let's uh, let's have you do something else. Let's something else might be a little bit, a little more." little more appropriate for you. Wow. So you made it six months before they were like, okay, we're going to like wash you out or whatever and put you in something else. Yeah. Six, uh, uh, six long and, and rough months. Yeah. So guys, see, listen to that. Like if you want to just learn a random language that you've never spoke before, you can do it. You can just go to the Air Force and just do whatever you want to do. Basically, that's what it sounds like. Okay. So let's get into some assignments that you had during your, your time because obviously you've been I mean, since I've known you, you've been, you've been like everywhere. You've been in Europe, you've been in Korea, you've been, you know, wherever. So, yeah, like what was kind of like your highlights and like the memorable assignments that you've had? I mean, which ones weren't memorable? Uh, every every couple of years, the Air Force will, will see fit to move you around to a new base. Right. Uh, part of the goal there is to give people different experiences. Part of the goal is to make sure that, that one unit doesn't get stale with people there for four or five, ten years of time, right? So... I uh, spent time in Germany, in England. I uh, spent time in Korea. I've been based in Arizona, uh, here in Nevada, of course, uh, South Carolina, as well as a bunch of trips over to the Middle East to Iraq and Afghanistan, kind of sprinkled in between. So the uh, 
every couple of years, yeah, there's, there's something new to do and somewhere new to go. Um, the Air Force is really good about at least giving you some input as to where you're going to be based. So as an enlisted guy, I've got a, a list of like 10 bases that I want to be, that I want to be at. Uh, and well, you know, whether that's my personal preference about where I'm living, i.e. I want to be in Nevada or California or Arizona, or if it's, you know, I want to be overseas, or maybe there's certain bases that I want to be at because of the mission, right? Because every different bases have different aircraft that they host or different missions that they support. And so if you want to really be in special operations, there's certain bases that, that do those missions. And if you really want to work with bombers or with fighters, there's certain bases that, that host those types of aircraft or those types of mission sets. So depending upon what it is that you want to do and kind of what your ambitions are, uh, there's usually some pretty good ability to influence where you're going to be based at and where you're going to be living while you're while you're in. Yeah, it's it's funny though. You mentioned bombers. It's like if you want to work at bombers, it's like I didn't want to work at bombers, and they sent me to <laughs> Whiteman Air Force Base. They're like, yeah, go over there and just work with the B two. Like, oh, thanks. Like it was cool at first, but you know, because well, you're know, like, oh, the B two is cool looking, but then it's like, no. Not well, right. well, obviously. Uh, if everybody that wanted to be in Florida or everybody that wanted to be based in Japan got to be there, yep. then there'd be nobody at the base in Missouri or nobody at the base in North Dakota. But uh, yeah, you know, to, to some degree, uh, we get some control over that. Uh, I met Chris while we were both in Korea, and we linked up again while we were both in England. And so if this guy tries to tell you that he had a, a, a rough go of it, don't believe him because he's had some, some fantastic assignments while he was still on active duty. Well, no, I mean, well, first the – story of us meeting in Korea was hilarious because literally we met that that day and you were just like, yeah, I'm leaving the next day and going to England. So that was uh, that was pretty funny. But hey, listen, man, like, first of all, I was in Missouri for five years, so I was punished there. <laughs> and then eventually it was like, yeah, send you to Korea. Like Korea was great. It was very hard work. It was it was very rewarding because like the stuff we were doing was paying off, you could tell. But it was just constant grind. But it was a good time as well. You know, you go out, you drink all the time. It's like, it's a good time. And England sucked as well. But the good thing was my family and friends were there. And I could also hang out with guys like you and like all the other friends I had there. And we had fun. But the job itself sucked. But yeah. Well, you, know. well, you just blew past two interesting points, I think. One is that while you're moving around from base to base, uh, it's not – you're not on your own doing all that, right? So if you get assigned to a new base, they'll give you – you know, typically three or four months notice uh, about kind of, hey, you'll be leaving soon, you'll be leaving on, on this date. And they'll assign you a sponsor to at the new base to help mm-hmm. you adjust and transition. So while I was getting ready to leave Korea, uh, we had this guy, Chris, who was coming in and I got assigned to him to help answer his questions and help, you know, get a room set up for him, meet him at the at the air terminal when he got in, help kind of get him, get him sorted out. And the way it works is there's a rotator a few times a week that flies mm-hmm. from Seattle to Japan to Korea to shuttle guys in. And then once it gets to Korea, you kind of disperse to different bases. And so the flight that brought Chris in, you know, the, the same plane that brought him in one day, uh, we high-fived, we went out and got dinner, and then I left on that same plane the next day to, mm-hmm. to go on to my next assignment in England. So uh, for all the traveling and all the, the instability, there is a lot of good support there in terms of helping people get adjusted and helping people get uh, integrated in, into the new base that they're living at. Yeah, and I knew this guy was my kind of guy when he was wearing like a Fulham shirt because I remember when I got to Whiteman, first day I met Peach and he was wearing a Man U shirt and I was thinking, oh boy, we're going to have some fun here. So yeah, we, ha- we have a mutual friend who kind of gave me the, gave me the, the, the skinny on Chris. Let, let me know he, he was a big English soccer fan. So I made a point to uh, 
uh, have a jersey on when I went and met him at the terminal, and that was friendship at first sight. Yeah, but like, for example, like you spent so much time in Europe, man. Like, yeah, just, so I, I like, spent three years uh, in Western Germany, right. uh, three in England, and like any good overseas traveler, you know, take those weekends and save up your money and. Uh, I made a point to go to as many soccer games as I could, mm-hmm. as many breweries as I could, and as many old you know World War II battle sites as I could. So, uh, you know, you name them, I've been to them. And and that's the important thing, man. If if any of you like listening, you know, the very few listeners we may have, if you have any chance to kind of soak in a new culture and just go to like a new place, because I feel like a lot of people in America are very kind of. I don't want to say uncultured, but I think that might be the the word for it, but like not really well-traveled. A lot of people kind of stay in their area. So if you ever get a chance to go overseas, man, just make the most of it. It's it's a little harder for us, right? Because the country's so big. Mm. You, can, you, you can drive a car for 36 hours and still be in the United States, depending upon where you start and where you, where you right. end. Yeah. Uh, obviously, a lot of places you know, in Europe or in East Asia, it's a lot smaller and it's a lot easier to get a very wide variety of, of experiences from 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 one stop to the next but yeah no it, it's it's been an absolute blessing uh i've i've told people all the time that what is a dream vacation for a lot of americans to go down to london and mm-hmm. hit a museum and go to a pub for lunch and go to a soccer game and go to a west end theater play like that was just like an average saturday while we were living over there in the uk right so yeah let's just talk about uh deployments here real quick because uh grant i know you've been to i've been to the the softer places if you will i've been to qatar and jordan so not you know but grant here has been to iraq and afghanistan and i will just let me just say one thing about afghanistan before i went to qatar i actually got assigned to go to afghanistan uh kandahar and i was i was just terrified absolutely terrified when i saw afghanistan on there i was just like oh gosh this is you know and i told um it was interesting because i told my mom well i told my mom and sisters together they i had a, i told them i had a big announcement and they were like did you get a girl pregnant and it's like <laughs> it's like no that's not what happened here and i told them about the afghanistan thing and i remember like it was crazy because i did it over you know skype or whatever video chat it was back then and my mom was literally just sitting there like stone face just like looking forward like she didn't say anything and my my sisters were just like oh no oh no you know this this and that and my mom just didn't say a word she was just like obviously worried and stuff like that but absolutely it's not like you know you're not doomed basically is what i'm trying to say because grant here has been to both so just kind of like talk to just talk to the audience kind of hear about your you know your experiences over there yeah i can confirm uh been all over and, and survived it. Uh, <laughs> multiple trips to Afghanistan, one to Iraq, uh, and say one as well to, to Qatar. Uh, in Afghanistan, you know, was, I was in Kandahar, I was in Logar, I was in Kabul, uh, and kind of main bases. Some folks were out at, at smaller fobs and smaller little little patrol bases. Uh, I've had kind of a, both experiences. Uh, it's some days it is just boring and sweltering heat and the most mundane day in the world. Some days it's really, really exciting and, and things are, are going on, either a mission that we're doing or we're getting rockets and mortars shot at us. Uh, I've had them, ball, ha- had them both, had them all. Um, I also am, am very familiar with the experience that you were describing 
of breaking the news to mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of years ago, I thought I was going to be deploying to a country called Qatar over in the Middle East. And that kind of changed last minute, and I was going to Iraq instead. And I made a uh, business decision of sorts to not tell my mother about the change and just let her sort of for six months be under the impression that I was going to be here and here and here. And I accidentally let it slip to my sister. And I swore her to secrecy and said, hey, look, uh, for, 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 for mom's sake, don't, uh, don't share the news. But when I got home and I brought home uh, – we went out to a bakery in, a, in Iraq mm. and brought home some baklava, the little almond pastry thing. And the way I broke the news to mom was to hand her this, this tin of, of desserts that we'd gotten. And as she's reading the box, she's confused. Oh, do they, do they export these from Iraq to Qatar? And I said, well, maybe. It's not how I got them. <laughs> and only then when I was, when I was safe, 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 safe at home uh, did I break the news to her. But no, overwhelmingly, uh, I know the, the news always focuses on you know, horrible things that happen, uh, either attacks or, or, or you know, the, the, the negative bits, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, if it bleeds, it leads, I think. Is, is that the, the journalism mantra? But yeah, no, overwhelmingly, uh, most of what we're doing is, is fairly safe and is fairly uh, – Maybe even a lot more mundane than what people picture mm. uh, as you slowly try to build countries and help their, help their defense forces you know, stand up uh, their own, own capability. Obviously, in Iraq, that's an ongoing thing. Obviously, in Afghanistan, that's, uh, it is what it is in Afghanistan. But uh, there's, there's lots of that type of, of deployment uh, going on in the world right now, uh, even in countries that don't make the news and things you won't necessarily hear about. There's a ton of, of soldiers and airmen and Marines and sailors that are all over the world, uh, either fighting the counterterrorism fight or supporting local forces as, the, as they try to secure their own countries and keep their own governments uh, safe and secure. Right. And even like with, with us, you know, like we said, we're, we're intelligence. I feel like when you deploy – a lot more of what you do makes sense because you're actually in the fight, if you will. Like you're out there, you're supporting like actual missions and it's just, it it kind of brings to life the importance of being intelligence. And you even see other people around doing what they do, you know, whoever it is, finance, whatever. Um, you know, there's a lot of jobs out there where people say, oh, they don't do anything, but Especially when you deploy, you see just how much all of that kind of interconnects with each other. So absolutely, a- yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think both uh, both defensively, uh, trying to keep the base safe and trying to prevent attacks against against our forces, as well as offensively, trying to go out there and, and find some of those nefarious actors to help clean up uh, clean up the country. Uh, you're very very close to the the pointy end of the stick out there when you're deployed, and so it's uh, it it does kind of sink home and. It's a lot more clear that like what you're doing is actually uh, it's, it's changing, changing the world and changing history in, in, in small ways day to day. Tying back to the soccer story earlier, I think you never know when the day is going to be that something big happens. I was, I was at a Saturday soccer game in Germany years ago, and I was pretty drunk and cheering for the local team. And I was, got a phone call from my boss that said, hey, get to work right now. I was like, hey, sir, uh, what, uh, give me a few hours maybe. I need to sober up. And a, a few days later, we were on a plane to go down to, to Libya to go fight back in 2011 uh, during the, the Arab, Arab Spring. So whether it's day-to-day you know, here at Nellis or elsewhere at a base or it's you know, four deployed in a war zone, uh, 
sometimes you go to work and, and not much happens and it's a boring day of paperwork and training that you got to do. And other days, it, you know, something happens and like today is the day that we make history and today is the day that something really remarkable happens. And uh, it's always unpredictable when that's going to happen. Uh, and it's that's one of the fun bits of the job is going to work every morning thinking, hey, today might be the day. Yeah, and it sucks, man, just to kind of relate to that. It, like when I deployed to Qatar, this was my first deployment, so obviously I was very flustered. And what they did, I was supposed to leave January, I don't know, January 6th or something. And instead, they then tell me on, it was like December 22nd or something, they're like, no, we actually need you to leave like just after Christmas, like December 27th. So I had to get the rest of my out processing done before everybody showed up for, for Christmas. Yeah. So it was like December 23rd. I'm like, oh crap, it's like Friday. I'm like, oh crap, I've got to get everything done in this one day. And I did, I did achieve it because everybody went that extra mile for me because they're like, oh, you're deploying. It's like, yeah, I kind of need your help. Like usually people are like, oh no, I can wait, you know, but people actually helped me out and I wound up leaving on December 27th. So the thing that we'll finish off with here, um, for, for me personally, obviously I got out after I'd been in what, eight and a half years. And uh, I just, honestly, I just couldn't take it anymore. I was just like, all right, I'm going to get out. I'm going to go civilian. I'm going to go after this journalism thing. But uh, with Grant here, you've been in what, 18 years now? A little, so, yeah, 18 and a few months. Yeah. yeah so like, I just want to, I just want to get your kind of thought process on like why you're still in. I mean, I'm assuming you're going for 20, but just kind of explain like why you're still in. Yeah. If you, if you go to a theme park and you get on the roller coaster and it's a really fun ride and then the worker tells you, Hey, do you want to ride again? You go, okay, yeah, I'll go on for, for another ride. And you go a second lap around and you pull back into the station and the, and the, the worker says, you want to go for a third time? And as long as it still stays fun and as long as you don't get nauseous on the on the roller coaster ride you, you gotta keep going and keep it keep it up it's been uh it's been 18 years it's been absolutely a, an amazing journey and i feel like every every place i've been has been uniquely interesting and, and wonderful and every place i've been has afforded opportunities to learn something or to experience something or to meet interesting new people mm -hmm. and you know why get off the roller coaster as long as it's uh, as long as it's staying fun. Uh, the like, like I said earlier, the, the number of days where I've thought to myself, "Oh wow, t what I did today was an absolute dream," or "What I did today was a sm like this will be in the history books one day," and and to be a part of that is like, man, why why would you ever want to get off this ride? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. If you because it sounds like you enjoy it. But I feel like there's a lot of people I've met um, who, well, a certain bald individual that we both know who, <laughs> who gets very, like, stressed from working in the Air Force. And I just think to some – like, with some people, I'm just thinking, why are you still in? But with yourself, you still enjoy, enjoy it. Yeah. Perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, anything you do in life is going to have, like, good things and bad things, right? right. And I think if, if you look at life – and, and you suffer all the things that your life isn't, you'll never be happy, right? But that if you day-to-day -day take time to reflect on all the things that your life is, then you're never going to be unhappy. Uh, there's plenty of folks who would come here to Las Vegas and say, 
man, the weather's too hot and there's nowhere good to, to go river rafting and uh, there's, no, there's no beach and, oh, man, things on the Strip are too expensive. And you go, well, okay, cool, but you, you think about all the things that Las Vegas isn't as opposed to all the things that, that it is. And I think if you, if you look at life and you, ex- you accept kind of where you are as, as where you are and you go, cool, I'm living in this weird place now, but millions of people live here and these people have hobbies and they have interests. And I'm going to spend a couple of years getting into that and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to England and I'm going to get real hardcore into soccer and I'm going to go to games every weekend. And I'm going to really soak up the pub culture and learn all the different ciders and all the different cascales there are. Oh, and I'm, I'm going to Korea now and I'm going to try to learn this language a little bit. And I'm going to get into this food, and I'm going to enjoy going to the Korean, the K-pop karaoke bar. And I'm going to go watch the Korean League baseball because that's an absolute experience. And you get assigned to South Carolina, and you go, okay, this is college football country. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go that. fishing. I'm going to go camping. I'm going to go watch Steve Spurrier and, and SEC football and get into NASCAR while I'm here. And, and I think that's the key to happiness in life is looking at kind of where you are. And focusing on the things you have and the things you can do as opposed to fretting over the things that, that, that you can't do. Uh, the second time I went back to Korea in 2012, uh, I met some guys in the unit that I was working with. And uh, it, was, it was March or April, whenever it was, and soccer season was starting. I told some guys at work, hey, Saturday, let's go up to Seoul and let's watch the soccer game. It, it'll be you know whoever was playing. And one of the guys I talked to said, oh, well, I've, I've been. And I, I said, oh, cool. You've been to the games. He goes, no, I've, I've been to Seoul. And I thought, yeah, man, it's a, it's a massive city with a million things to do. And it's 20 or 30 minutes in the train to get up there. Of course. You've been. He goes, well, no, I've, I've been up there once. And I was like, dude, you've been in this country for 11 months. What, what are you doing? And, and he would sit at home and talk to his girlfriend on Skype and play whatever video game people were playing 10 years ago. <laughs> And I was like, dude, are you getting out and experiencing the country? And right. he was so focused on, well, you know, my girlfriend is 4,000 miles away and the, the guys I play this video game with as a, as a group, they're all in a different time zone. And he was so caught up in like the things that he couldn't do. He, he just like spent a whole year ignoring the amazing place he was living. And I think that that's the key to happiness anywhere in life, whether, whether you're here at UNLV in, in, in Nevada or whether you're living over in Uzbekistan that like wherever you are, like drink the Kool-Aid, get into it, and, and you'll never have a boring day in your life. Shout out to Grant Hurston for coming on this episode of the American Military Brit podcast. A lot of good, interesting stories there, and hopefully you got more of an insight into what goes on in everyday Air Force life and intelligence life. So be sure to check in and check out our next few podcasts where we're going to have some great guests coming in.